We are studying the book of Romans, and we're kind of going through it verse by verse, and just looking at it in its context, and with the major theme and emphasis, because I think it's Paul's major theme and emphasis, that God is a God who keeps his promises. God is faithful, God is just, God is good, God is fair, God always does what is right. And in that light, God makes us right with him through Jesus. So we said in week one, lesson one, it's not on the screen, I'm I'm waiting to see maybe, you think? Yeah, we don't know. Okay, that's okay. Um, we, said, we said a few weeks ago as we summarized uh, chapter one of Romans that God's righteousness, God's righteousness, his, his promise-keeping, good, just, fair, right, rightness, God's righteousness is revealed both in his deliverance and in his wrath. Sometimes when we think about God being just, we just think about justice being punishment of evildoers. But when the Bible talks about justice, it's, it's more than that. Yes, it is punishment against wicked, wrong, evil, sinful, uh, bad things in the world. And would we really want a world that didn't have a God who punished evil? It's one thing to tell somebody don't seek vengeance and don't hurt people that hurt you and don't do evil to people who do evil to you when you can tell them in the end, God is going to deal with all of the evil and God is going to make all things right and God is going to punish the wicked. It's another thing to tell people, don't seek vengeance, don't hurt people that hurt you, don't do wrong to people who do wrong to you and neither does God. God just lets people, you know, do whatever they want to. That, that We wouldn't want a world like that. It's good news that God is a God that, that punishes evil and wicked and, and, and sinful darkness. But God's righteousness is revealed both in his wrath and in his deliverance, in him lifting up the broken and the sick and the hurting, in God helping and forgiving and having mercy and having grace, his righteousness is revealed in that as well. So God's righteousness is revealed in both his deliverance and his wrath. We said in chapter 2, we summarized it this way by saying, because of God's righteousness, being Jewish will neither save you from the curse of sin nor earn you preferential treatment with God. Now, I even feel funny summarizing a chapter that way because none of us care about that, right? I mean, none of us are, are, none of us tend to think that being Jewish will get you special treatment with God or release you from the curse of sin. And so what we tend to do is we tend to read biblical books and look for the things we care about. And then assume that's what the book is about, right? We have a tendency to say, well, these are the questions I have, and this is what I wonder, and how does the cross work, and how does uh, justification or atonement work, and, you know, what about people that do this, and what about that, and what about believing this over here? And so we go to the biblical text with all kinds of questions, rather than letting the, the biblical text teach us what it's about, right? And, and the biblical text in this case, this book, is about God saving Jew and Gentile. 
about God taking both Jew and Gentile and making them both a part of his covenant people and freeing them from the curse of sin, forgiving them and making redemption for them. And again, as we, as we said, if you were a Jew in the first century and you had this guy talking about how Gentiles are now part of your family and are on equal standing with God as you are and that they get a slice of your inheritance, you might think that's not what? Fair. That's not fair. And that's what the whole book is about is, yes, it is fair. God is fair and God is keeping his promises. He hasn't, he hasn't said to the Jew, I don't want you anymore. If somebody is ethnically Jewish, he hasn't said to them, hey, I don't love you anymore. You can't be part of the covenant family anymore. And he hasn't said to the Gentile, because you're not ethnically Jewish, I don't want you. Or I want you more than I want them. On the same basis, on the same basis, God is letting all people be part of his covenant family and making atonement, making it possible for them to be set right and set free from sin. And and he's making that available to all people on the same basis. Okay, so if you have your Bible, and tonight you have to have your Bible because it ain't up there. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22, we're going to review just a little bit. We stopped in verse 25, uh, but I want to go back just a tad and then go forward into chapter 4. So Romans chapter 3, Paul is saying that God, God doesn't play favorites, right? And that's part of God's fairness, part of God's righteousness, that God doesn't play, play favorites. There is no favoritism, there is no partiality, there is no distinction. So he says in Romans 3, the latter part of verse 22, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Man, I've quoted that verse a lot in my life. You've probably heard that verse quoted a lot in your life, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we, we use it in all kinds of ways and we, we mean all kinds of things, but sometimes we forget that that's just one phrase within the entire argument that, that Paul is making, right? And so he says, there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and what does that mean for the Gentile? That means the Gentile has become, like in chapter 1, become idolatrous. And instead of glorifying their maker and being a reflection of the glory of God as an image bearer of God. Instead of serving God like a priest, the the Gentile nations have, instead of doing that, they've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things. They worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator, right? And they have become wicked and depraved and sinful and and God's wrath is rightly and justly upon them. But for the Jew who would say, see there, God, you deserve God's punishment. You deserve to be under the wrath of God. You deserve the curse that's on you. He kind of turns the table in chapter two, doesn't he? And he says, yeah, but you who have the law, (laughs) you have the law and you didn't keep the law. Do you think that having, just having the law and and doing the sort of the ceremonial things of the law, being circumcised and eating the right kinds of food and keeping the feasts and the holy days and wearing the right kind of clothes and doing those kinds of things. Do you think that that gets you preferential treatment when you're not actually keeping the law? And so he goes through and he convicts both 
the Gentile and the Jew of sin and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a, what? A gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus who provides the redemption. And within the context of the biblical story, what does redemption remind us of? What other story does redemption remind us of? Remember on Sunday when we were talking about John 1, the the prologue of John, and we read, in the beginning was the word, and we said, hey, in the beginning should remind us of Genesis. When we read redemption, it should remind us of what book? Exodus, right? Redemption. How God redeemed all of his people out of slavery, right? And, and here Paul is saying that the Messiah has come, Jesus has come to provide redemption, freedom from the curse of, of slavery, of sin, and he has redeemed everyone or provided redemption for everyone without distinction, because everybody, everybody is equally cursed. Everybody is equally sinful. Everybody equally has a problem. Everybody is equally enslaved to sin. It's everybody's problem. And God is a fair and just and righteous God. And so he provides redemption on the basis of grace. The Greek word is charis. It's gift. It's charity. It's God's charity to redeem anyone because nobody deserves it based on their ethnicity nobody deserves it because they had access to the law nobody deserves it because they're circumcised or they wear the right clothes or they eat the right foods or they keep the right holidays nobody deserves it because of who their father was or their grandfather was or their great 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 grandfather if God's going to bring you out of slavery to sin if he's going to set you free and set you right then it's going to be a gift. And that's what it is. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus is by grace as a gift. And then verse 25, we talked about briefly as we closed last week. He says, whom God put forward. So God put forward Jesus. He exposed Jesus. He displayed Jesus. He he brought Jesus. He sent Jesus and put him forward as a propitiation. We talked about last week that the only other time that word is used in the New Testament is in Hebrews. And, and what does it mean? you remember? Mercy seat. The mercy seat, which was the covering, and that's an important word, covering of the Ark of the Covenant. So everything in the covenant represented the relationship that the people had with their God, right? What did you have in there? The Ten Commandments and... Some manna, you remember, and Aaron's staff. Okay, so, so inside this box, this covenant box represents the relationship that Israel has with God and on top and covering it is a mercy seat where once a year there was what sprinkled on it? Blood, right? Where mercy, atonement, that's what atonement means. It means to, to cover over their whole relationship was covered over like a, like a big blanket, like a... Like a mother hen's wings covering over the people, covering over their sin, making them right. See, every story has to, every, every word of this book is couched within a story, and we have to know the story that we're talking about. 
If a Greek or a Roman outside of the context of the biblical story talked about sacrifices or propitiation, talked about atonement, they might, they might have in mind a story of a God that was like angry and hated them or was completely indifferent to them. And maybe they needed to sail across the ocean and so they needed to offer a propitiation. They had to offer a sacrifice to sort of make the gods of the sea not so angry anymore. Or maybe they wanted to have a baby and they hadn't been able to be fertile and so they had to offer a sacrifice to the fertility gods in order to make them not angry anymore. But that's not the context of our story, is it? Don't get me wrong, our God is rightfully angry about sin. But he wants to forgive people. And he wants to extend mercy and grace to people. And it's in that context that even the Levitical sacrificial system was instituted. God wants to tabernacle with you. He wants to live in your midst. And this system is set up so that you can have fellowship with this holy God. And in this case, Paul says, in order for all people, Jew and Gentile, who are all who've all fallen short of God's glory, in order for everybody to be part of this covenant family, God, as a gift, set forth Jesus as a mercy seat, as a place for him to have mercy and show mercy to all people to be received by what? Faith. And that's going to be the key to everything Paul has to say. Uh, Look at the latter part of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, some people kind of look at that and say, you know, like God's wrath was just building up and, you know, and and why aren't you being just and why aren't you doing what needs to be done? But even, even even in God's delaying to deal with sin, both the sin of the Gentiles and the sin of the Jews... In his delaying, it's divine forbearance. It's patience. It's it's the fact that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this shows the righteousness of God because he passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is being fair, and he's keeping his promises. And what he's doing is justifying. What does justifying mean? All of these words are so closely related in Greek that sometimes it it passes our understanding because they're not the same in English. But righteousness and justification and justify, they're all the same root, same idea. So there's a a humanity of both Jew and Gentile, and and how many of them are righteous? None, right? None are righteous. No one. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. How many people are, by their own work, by their own deservedness, deserve to be right in a right covenant relationship with God? Nobody. The Gentile certainly And not even the Jew, based on ethnicity or based on their access to the law, nobody does. But God, through Jesus, shows how righteous he is. 
by justifying, making people, counting people, considering people righteous, making them in a right relationship with him. And that's an act of God's grace and justice, fairness, and keeping of promises. That's, that's what we should see. That's what the Jew should see. That's what the Gentile should see. Now, what is the basis for that justification? End of verse 26. The one who has what? Faith in Jesus. And that's going to be Paul's whole point. That the basis of a right relationship with God, the basis for being seen by God as righteous is what? Faith in Jesus. Okay, look at verse 27. Then, by, then what becomes of our what? Boasting. Now, Paul really hasn't dealt with any sort of application stuff yet. It's all kind of theological but, but here we're kind of, kind of getting into some, some application, right? Now, who, who was it that had a tendency to boast? It may have been both groups, but, but what group in this context probably had the tendency to boast? The Jews, right? Based on what? Heritage. Ethnicity. I mean, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham. This is my family. This is my inheritance. I deserve to be here. I deserve these blessings, If it's on the basis of my flesh, if it's on the basis of my circumcision and my bloodline and my heritage and my ethnicity, then I can boast in that. I can even boast in the fact that I keep the holidays and I wear the right clothes and I eat the right food and I do what's right. And Paul says on on that basis, nobody's justified. But God is setting forth the basis of faith in Jesus. And on that basis... On that basis, both Jew and Gentile can be justified in God. But, but then he says, but, but then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. You, you don't get to brag anymore. And that's the whole point, isn't it? You don't get to brag anymore. You don't get to boast. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It's going to be Paul's entire point, isn't it? That both the Jew and the Gentile can be set free from sin and set right with God. And isn't that a good idea? To know I'm in a right relationship with God. How do you know that? How do you know that you're in a right relationship with God? Now, if you had asked somebody that was Jewish before this, how do you know you're in a right relationship with God? The answers might vary, but... But it would come down to, well, I've, I've been circumcised. I was circumcised. It's like Paul's list of everything that was true of him in his life. I've been circumcised. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've kept the law. I don't eat unclean foods. I, I keep the Sabbath. I fast. I, I do what the law requires of me. I, I listen to the rabbis and the, the teachings of, of my forefathers. That, that's a lot to boast in, isn't it? And Paul said, all of that's 
null and void. You don't get to boast in any of that. Because on that basis, you've fallen short of the glory of God. You haven't been faithful to what he entrusted you with. And what is it that Paul says earlier in the same chapter that God entrusted to the Gentiles, or to the Jews? Remember at the beginning of the chapter, they say, well, what good is it being Jewish, right? I mean, what's the advantage of being a Jew? And he says, there's much. There's huge benefits to being Jewish. Why? Because God, what was that word, remember? Entrusted, entrusted us with his oracles, right? God made us his mouthpiece to the world. He made us a city set on a hill. We almost there? (laughs) Hey, looky there. I knew they'd get it. They're good. Let's see. Well, it's not letting me now, but that's okay. We'll just keep carrying on. And y'all can look at pictures of cute animals. (laughs) It's better than whatever I'm saying, I'm sure. But okay. So (laughs) I totally forgot what I was saying. Okay. (laughs) What becomes what becomes of our boasting? Paul says, you were entrusted. We can actually switch that to something else, guys, if you want to. Oh, it's just on that screen, just so I can see the pretty birds and animals. You were entrusted with the oracles of God. God made you to be a light to the world, a city set on a hill. But you've done what? You've put a bushel over it. Like Jonah, you wanted all the benefits and the blessings of God, but you wanted them for yourselves. And we fell short of bringing glory to God by being a light to the world like he intended for us to. So on the basis of our ethnicity, we can't be in a right relationship with God, but we can be in a right relationship with God based on faith in Jesus. But that means that on that same basis, the Gentile as well can be in a right relationship with God. So God is the God of both the Jew and the Gentile, and he will justify, set them right, set them free, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Look at verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Is the law bad? (laughs) Of course not. Is it wrong? No, of course not. And he says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So we might summarize Romans 3 this way. God's righteousness is seen in his putting forth Jesus as a sin offering. As a sin offering. We're going to talk about on Sunday, Jesus being the Lamb of God. Setting us free from sin and setting us right with God. That in Jesus, we see the righteousness of God. God kept his promises to the Jews. God has been good to the Gentiles. He's dealt with sin. God isn't a God who just says, ah, you know, whatever, sin, no big deal, you know, just forget it, move on, forgive yourself, you know, don't worry about it, I'm not worried about it, I'm gracious and merciful. No. He dealt with it, didn't he? He dealt with it. And in Jesus, we see that God is so righteous, and he provides a way for Jew and Gentile to be Forgiven, set free from the bondage and the curse of sin. All humanity under this curse. And God sets 
sets forth Jesus as a way for us to be set free and set right on the basis of the law? No. On the basis of our ethnicity? No. On the basis of how good we are? No. On the basis of, what is it? Faith in Jesus. Putting your faith in the Messiah, trusting him, believing in him, following him, being a disciple of Jesus, and people want to separate that from baptism. That's not, that's not Paul's issue or, or even what he's talking about. Of course, of course, it's assumed, and he'll go into that in chapter 6, that a person who wants to follow Jesus is going to be baptized. Of course they will. It's at baptism that they, they get delivered out of the bondage of sin. It's, it's their exodus moment out of Egypt and into the promised land. But that's about faith in Jesus. Baptism is about faith in Jesus. On what basis are you confident that you are in a right relationship with God? Now, the answer we might be tempted to give is probably different than the answer a Jew in the first century might be tempted to give. But it's still a question that we have to wrestle with, isn't it? Are you confident that you've been set free from your past? Are you confident you've been set free from the curse? Are you confident that you have been set right with God? That you are in a right covenant relationship with God? And if so, what is the basis of that confidence? It ought to be because I follow Jesus. Because I trust him. Because I believe that his blood set me free. Because I believe that God is righteous, God is good, God has delivered me. That's the basis on which I can be confident that I'm in a right relationship with God. I grew up around a lot of people, and I've told you this story before, my grandmother, and it still breaks my heart. Not long before she passed away, she told me, Wes, I don't know that a person can ever really know if they're saved. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? Why would would she say that? Because she believed that her confidence was on the basis of how good she had been, how well she had performed, how much she had done. And on that basis, would she be seen as being right or being wrong? being in a right relationship with God or not being in a right relationship with God. But Paul wants us to know that it's, it's Jesus. Does that mean that there's nothing we need to do? No, of course not. And he addresses that time and time and time again because that was the same type of accusation that was hurled at him in his day. If you're saying that a right relationship with God comes through faith in Jesus the Messiah then are you saying that people can just live willy-nilly and however they want to, go about doing whatever kind of sinful stuff they want to? And Paul would say, absolutely not. It was that kind of stuff that led to their slavery in the first place. Why would they go back to that? Why would you go back to that? If you have faith in the Messiah, you'll live in a way that's consistent with the gospel. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, some translations read this way. Have we found Abraham to only be our forefather according to the flesh? Either way we read it, the question is, 
What did Abraham gain? What did Abraham find? Did Abraham find the blessings of God through the flesh? Was it because his foreskin was cut off? Was it because of his circumcision that he was in a right relationship with God? Did he find the blessings of God through the flesh? Or if the question is posed another way, is Abraham only our father because he was circumcised? Because of his flesh or because of our physical descent from him? Is that why Abraham is our forefather? And, and obviously the answer is, is no. He says, for if Abraham was justified, if, if he was in a right relationship with God, if he was in a covenant relationship with God by works, and here he doesn't mean like doing stuff, okay? That's not what Paul is, that's not the context, right? That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't mean if Abraham was in a right relationship with God because he did stuff. What kind of works is he talking about? The law, right? What kind of works would that be? Well, circumcision most especially because that's the context. Circumcision or, you know, eating the right foods or not eating unclean foods or wearing the right clothes or keeping the Sabbath or whatever, which those laws hadn't even been given yet. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Going back to what he said in the last chapter, right? But not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. So on what basis was Abraham in a right relationship with God? On the basis of law? No, on the basis of faith, right? Because Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He had confidence in God. And that quote comes from the story of when Abraham didn't have kids, right? And God made all kinds of promises to him about his descendants. And that would be a pretty hard thing to believe, wouldn't it? You're going to have descendants and your people are going to number like the stars in the sky or like the sand on the seashore. And you're like, God, I, I, don't, I don't have any kids. But he believed God, that God was righteous, that God was a keeper of promises, and Abraham put his confidence in God. And on that basis, not on the basis of his circumcision, but on the basis of his faith, God considered him to be a righteous man. He was in a right relationship with God on the basis, not of circumcision, but on the basis of faith. Chapter, or, or verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So if somebody could say, well, I'm in a right relationship with God because of everything that I have done. I'm in a right relationship with God because I kept the rules and I did what I was supposed to do and I, I checked all the boxes. That's why I'm in a right relationship with God. Then who gets the credit? I do, right? Because whatever I get from God, he owes me. I did what I was supposed to do and so it's my due. But if I just trust God, and I accept a right relationship with him on that basis, and it's given to me, then who gets the credit? He does. Because it's a gift. 
When it's a wage, you don't tell your boss, thank you so much. I didn't, oh man, I didn't expect this at all. It was it's just amazing that you get, no, you don't do that because he owes it to you. You did the work, he gives you the paycheck. That's the way it works. But when somebody gives you a gift, it's totally different. They get the credit, you don't. And all of the boasting, all of the boasting of, well, I was circumcised. And I, do you know how long, Paul, do you know how long I've kept the Sabbath? Do you know how many times I've fasted? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how hard I've worked? Do you know how much I've served? And Paul says, did you ever think, did you ever think that this relationship that you had with God, that you deserve the credit for that? Do you really think that Abraham was in a right relationship with God because of him? Or was it because of what God has done? And then he even mentions David. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Quoting the Psalms, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul is showing anyone who might boast, especially in the context of the Jewish people, but again, it's relevant for all of us, that this has always been the basis of a right relationship with God. It was true of Abraham, it was true of David, that if God forgives and shows mercy and has grace and sets you right, when you've been wrong and God comes in and fixes you and sets you in a right covenant relationship with himself, he gets the credit, and you are a blessed person, and you ought to be overflowing with gratitude if we have the wrong sort of idea about salvation. Boasting is the result. And when we're proud, do you remember what we said a few weeks ago? When you're proud, you always end up mistreating people, don't you? Pride always leads to mistreating others. And that's probably exactly what was happening in Rome. Probably Gentiles mistreating Jews. Probably Jews mistreating Gentiles. And haven't we experienced that? Whether it's because somebody thinks they're better than somebody else because of what they've done or what the other person has done or what they've not done or what the other person has not done or because of ethnicity or because of wealth or because of education, because of whatever... Pride leads to mistreatment. And if there's going to be unity, rightness here and rightness here, then we have to have the right perspective about how we get set right and how we get set free and how we get justified. And it has to be an understanding that that's a gift that God gives. On what basis? On the basis of ethnicity? No. On the basis of law? No. On the basis of faith in Jesus? In becoming a follower of Jesus, God sets everyone, both Jew and Gentile, right with himself. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. Now, Man, I, and I hate to even mention this because it's not, it's not the point of the text. And I'm running out of time. The, it's not the point of the text to, to argue whether or not baptism is necessary. That, that's not the point. His point is about Jews and Gentiles. 
And his point is that Abraham, the Jew's father, saying to all of the Jewish Christians, our father Abraham, there was a time in his life when he was circumcised, and there was a time in his life that he was what? Uncircumcised. He's been both. He was circumcised, and he was uncircumcised. And even in his uncircumcised state, he was in a right relationship with God. On what basis? On the basis of circumcision? No, because he hadn't been circumcised yet. On the basis that he's the father of the Jews? No. On the basis of his faith in God. And so he'll say this. Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The circumcision wasn't what made him in a right relationship with God. It was the sign that he was in a right relationship with God. And by the way, what is the New Testament equivalent of that? What's the seal that we're in a right relationship with God? He gives us his spirit, right? That's the seal of the right relationship with God. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also, listen to this, walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So we conclude. First part of chapter 4. Summarize. Abraham is the father of all. Jew and Gentile who walk in his footsteps of faith. Anyone who walks in his footsteps of faith, anyone who trusts in the Lord, and in this case specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and puts their faith in him, becomes his disciple, baptized into Jesus, walks with him, surrenders to him, Jew or Gentile, Abraham is your father. You are a part of Abraham's family. Made free from sin, set free from sin, set right with God on the basis, not of ethnicity, not on the basis of your goodness or your smartness, but based on your faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Let's close with a prayer. Most Holy Father, Lord, we do not deserve to be set free. We do not deserve to be set right with you. But you have done that for us as a gift of your grace. Father, we have confidence that we are in a right relationship with you because we are disciples of Jesus. And we believe that his blood has set us free and has set us right. And Father, we pray not only that you give us that confidence, but that you help us to share that good news with the world. Father, I pray that if there are any that are here tonight that haven't yet been baptized into Jesus and committed themselves to him, that they'll do so that they might too know the joy of receiving the greatest gift that anyone has ever known. Father, thank you for giving us that gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.